want you to imagine a teenage boy. He is the youngest of eight boys in his family. And while his brothers are off fighting for the nation, being the youngest of the family, I can relate to this, he just gets stuck with, you know, what you do at home. He is stuck with taking care of the family's sheep. And it's hard work. It's not very glorious. Over the course of time, out in the field with the sheep, he runs into lions, bears. Think about that. A teenage boy, mind you, just him and God out there defending those sheep in the fields outside of the town of his birth, Bethlehem. That boy would grow up to become a national hero and Israel's mightiest king. In fact, to this day, the nation of Israel has the symbol of the Star of David on its flag. And the city of Bethlehem became known as the city of David. So I want you to picture David, the teenage boy, coming back from the fields, hot, tired, ready for a break. He comes back into town like he does every time by way of a well that is there by the gate. And there, like he does every time that he comes back home, he stops for a much-needed drink of cool water. Memories like that get imprinted on your mind, don't they? I notice that, especially when they're surrounded by Christmas time. To this day, I can taste my mom's killer sugar cookies, the ones that she made every year for Christmas. And these were not those thin, hard, crunchy, disgusting sugar cookies. Mom's killer sugar cookies were thick and soft and cakey and full of nutmeg. And she'd make up dozens of them in the weeks just previous to Christmas, put them in Tupperware in the chest freezer downstairs, and then for all the days leading up to Christmas, we could open up that freezer and we could make some good memories. And we did. They did. I want you to do something with me this morning, just for some fun, some group participation. Everybody that's joining us online, by the way, can do this as well. Take a minute. I'm going to ask you to turn to somebody near you and to tell them one simple, happy Christmas memory that is still in your head from the past. Just a simple one where you might say something like, my mom's killer sugar cookies or something like that. All right? And if you're online... You can turn to someone next to you, but it would be even more meaningful if you could type it in in the comments today, all right? So take a minute just now, share that, that thought, that good memory that is impressed on your mind from the past, all right? Take a minute and do that. Okay, if you can't remember it by now, you've forgotten it. So 
Hopefully you got to hear something like that. Isn't it funny how those things get stuck in our mind? I can see that kind of a thing happening. I can see this teenage boy, the youngest of eight, coming home, watching the family sheep, stopping off at the well outside Bethlehem, literally drinking it in. Literally drinking it in and recording some good memories. Can you picture that? Water, so necessary, so perfect for the need of the moment, repeated over and over, that he would never forget the joy that it brought to him. Cool water that parched his, that, that cooled his parched throat and revived his tired spirit. Water from the well at the gate of the little town of Bethlehem. That teenage boy would grow up, he would learn musical skills, he'd gain the ability to write songs, he became employed in the palace of the king, he would become a national hero by slaying the giant Goliath, and David, while he was generally regarded as a nobody in his family, would be chosen by God to become the king of Israel, and God would even say about him, I have found in him a man after my own heart. David, King David from Bethlehem. Many years later, David is dealing with rebellion and hardship in the kingdom. In fact, he had to run to save his life, and there were men who went with him, who remained loyal to him. We're often referring to them as David's mighty men. And you could read about some of their amazing feats, the things that they did in battle in 1 Chronicles Chapter 11. So I'd like you to open your Bibles up there if you would. The First Chronicles, chapter 11. And I want to take a look at one of those stories in First Chronicles 11 this morning, starting in verse 15. What does this have to do with Christmas? I'm glad you asked that. We'll get to that in a moment. First Chronicles 11, 15. <clears throat> Three of the 30 chief men went down to the rock to David at the cave of Adullam, when the army of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Now, we don't have the whole story here. We just have kind of a short video clip. But David is facing hardship. He has had to run before. And during this run, during this troubling time, the tired king thinks back to those happy moments as a younger man when he drank cool water from the well of Bethlehem. Those are happy memories imprinted into his mind. But right now, that town, the town of his birth, is behind enemy lines. Bethlehem is occupied. The Philistines have stationed an army garrison there. But there are three of David's mighty men, three of his loyal friends, who are listening that day, and they hear the king's wishes. Read on. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. But David would not drink it. 
he poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me before my God that I should do this. Shall I drink the lifeblood of these men? For at the risk of their lives they brought it. Therefore he would not drink it. These things did the three mighty men. It's a Bethlehem story. And this Bethlehem story seems kind of odd, doesn't it? David has loyal friends, men who are so loyal to him that they would risk life and limb to conduct an insane special ops mission, all for the sake, not of getting some secret weapon, not to rescue some kidnapped dignitary, but to get a drink of water from a well. That must be some water. Their mission involves three men apparently breaking through the enemy lines, getting to the well, putting water in a container, and then running away back to the camp before they get killed. So they come back to the stronghold at the cave of Adullam, and with a deep sense of joy, a deep sense of loyalty, they present some container of water to David. What is this? It's water for you, our king. It's the water you long for from the well of Bethlehem. Wait, what? I never meant for anybody to bring this. How did you get it? We broke through the enemy's lines, O king. No task too much for the king. We made it to the gate and we brought to you this water that you long for. So David takes that drink of water obtained at incredible risk, something he had only just kind of mused out loud about, and to show how precious it is, he dumps it out on the ground. Could you see these three guys watching that? Wait! I couldn't help but think of a clip from a movie. I want you to see it this morning. In my own twisted mind, that's what I thought of. Anyway, 
Before you call what David did a waste, notice one important line here. Look at it again. It says, what did he do with it? He poured it out to the Lord. It's not as if he just dumped it like some drink that had floaties in it because your toddler had a a drink before you. He made it into a sacrifice to God. When those three men put their lives on the line to get it, that water that was brought to him became something uncommon. He couldn't drink it. That's why David did what he did. The thought of a drink of water from Bethlehem, well, that was precious in his mind. But once he held that in his hands, it was multiplied a thousand times. And you don't take a person's life and use it just to satisfy your own thirst. He couldn't drink it. Christmas, by the way, is all about Jesus. You won't get that message in a lot of places. And in a moment, we're going to see how the baby of Bethlehem is very much, very much like that immeasurably valuable water from the well of Bethlehem. Jesus, in his ministry, had some words about the value of some uncommon water. Two places in the book of John, chapter 4, he spoke with a woman at a well outside the city of Sychar. He told her about water that she really needed, but she didn't understand. In verse 15, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. At that moment, she didn't understand that Jesus was speaking about something much more important than the kind of water that you drink from a well. He was speaking of living water, which is water that satisfies something more than just a dry throat. And that day, this unnamed woman in John chapter 4 found Her shriveled up soul revived and saved. And she found this water that she had never even heard of before. She understood, even before that, that she was dissatisfied in life, but she never understood why and what she really needed. Move three three chapters ahead in the book of John. Jesus is visiting the Feast of Booths in Jerusalem. It is the last day of the feast, the big day. And on that day, the priest would make a ceremonial trip. He would take a golden pitcher to the pool of Siloam and there fill it up with water. And in a kind of parade back to the temple, he would go up to the altar And there, pour that water out onto the altar as a drink offering, a libation to God. 
So just imagine that big scene has happened in Jerusalem. The priest has poured out the water. John chapter 7, verse 37, it says there on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now those are two times that we have recorded that Jesus invited people to himself for what he called living water. People didn't understand it completely. They understood a certain kind of thirst in their lives that nothing seemed to satisfy, and Jesus claimed to be the one who could help them with that. There is water that satisfies, and then there's water that looks like it might satisfy, and it seems promising, but it leaves you more thirsty than before you drank it. Drinking seawater might seem to satisfy people, but the body can't deal with the salt. It actually, if you drink seawater, it begins to draw moisture out of your body, and it will kill you. Pioneers in the Old West had to be careful when they would approach watering holes during the dry season because a concentration of arsenic in the water would make it poisonous. It made what looked to be safe poisonous. Even when water is safe, even when water is drinkable, not all water is the same. Mineral content affects the way that it tastes or smells. I'll never forget the water of Pape, Missouri. It smelled like eggs. Ew. So when Jesus talked about a water that was so satisfying that when you drank it, you would never be thirsty again, that was so significant. When Jesus said that a person could have an unending source of satisfaction from inside himself, that was a huge claim. And that was in a culture, by the way, where water was a commodity. To this day, in places in the Middle East like Bethlehem, water is like gold. And to offer some water that replenishes itself, that's a pretty far-fetched idea when you hear it, unless... Unless the offer comes from the God who made land and water. So let us go to Bethlehem this Christmas season. Can we do that now? Let's go to Bethlehem, the city of David, where a little baby has been born. Only this baby is not just a man, nor is he just the son of a man. He is the son of God, and in fact, he is the one who is God in flesh, the one in whom all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, the one who has emptied himself onto earth, God Almighty, the exact representation of the Father, born in an obscure village in the Middle East, sleeping in an animal feeding trough for want of a better place. How silently, how silently 
The wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. For everyone who is thirsty today and finding that nothing in this life satisfies you, you must understand this. You must understand that Jesus was given as the most wonderful of gifts to whoever would accept it. He would grow up and give himself as a ransom for you and for me. Jesus himself was God's precious drink offering, if you will, poured out for us. That one who is the very source of living water was wasted in the eyes of those who refused to accept him. To them, Jesus' birth as a baby and his death on the cross is just a tragic mistake, not the fulfillment of God's perfect plan. And the pouring out of his life started in Bethlehem. That little town where God in the flesh first drew breath as a man And it was likely there in Bethlehem that his little feet first touched the soil. Soil where he would walk as a man and would share in our experience. Who would know the taste of pain and fatigue and temptation and yes, thirst. And he was poured out onto this earth and that earth would continue to soak him up until his very blood was poured out on the ground and soaked up. The world didn't understand that sacrifice at the time. Many still don't. God gave an offering for thirsting souls who are begging inside for a life-giving drink. Take a look around you. This time of year, everybody is thirsty. They're hungry. They're craving something. Only instead of confronting what their soul is really craving, what they're trying to do is satisfy it with everything else. And to those people who are trying to find that satisfaction, I would say to them, why spend yourself on things that don't satisfy? Why do you buy up clothes? Why do you buy up stuff? Why do you watch info commercials and Get convinced that you just won't be satisfied until you own the set of microwave miracle dishes. Why do you get the latest exercise equipment? Why do you go after another car? Why do you chase after women? Or why do you feel like you're not complete unless you have a boyfriend? It's because deep down inside of every person, there really is a thirst. There really is a craving. But most people are trying to satisfy it with things that never will. And that, folks, is why Mick Jagger can't get no satisfaction. It's like being stranded on an island, surrounded by an ocean, but having nothing to drink. You could try seawater. It looks like it ought to help. At first, it might even seem to satisfy the person who drinks it. But rather than quench thirst, it increases it. Isaiah chapter 55. Its opening lines are for thirsty people, people who are craving some essential thing in life, but they may not even understand what it is that they need. It's for people who are looking, by the way, for hope, which lives here. 
Listen to Isaiah 55, 1, God's invitation. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe this invitation really hits home with you, if you'll be honest, because in your life you've tried all kinds of things. Nothing has seemed to work. And maybe, if you'll admit it, you're really searching for hope these days, but it seems to elude you. There have been some writers of Scripture who were in tune with this craving. In fact, at different times we have sung the words that they wrote. Psalm 42, verse 1, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Here's one that David wrote while he was out in the desert. Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He also wrote Psalm 143, verse 6. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. The baby of Bethlehem is our only hope to satisfy our greatest thirst in life. And if you've never come to terms with him, you've managed to this point in your life to make it through every Christmas without ever accepting the most incredible gift that you could have. Life. Real life through Jesus Christ. You can look at his birth and his death and you can choose to just consider it a waste and if that's what you do, then yes, to you it is a waste. Or you can choose to look deeper and you can see in that wonderful story a story of your rescue and mine. You can accept it as the greatest gift that you could possibly receive or you can keep looking to other things that will never satisfy you what will you do with Jesus' offer of living water? How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin where meek souls will receive him, still the dear Christ enters in. The thought of a drink of water from Bethlehem was precious in David's mind. But when he held it in his hands, it was multiplied a thousand times. Let me tell you the thought of having Jesus as your Savior might sound possibly even precious to you in your mind. But once you make that decision and once you follow through to him, it becomes a thousand times more precious. If you've already made that decision, can I get you to say amen? 
It's true, isn't it? So this morning, we're inviting you on his behalf to his offer of living water to satisfy a longing in you that nothing else can satisfy. If you need to make that decision this morning, we want you to. We want you to enter into this Christmas season with Jesus as Lord of your life, not just Jesus as a happy memory, but Lord in your life. If you're ready to make that choice, uh, we're going to sing a closing song this morning, and as we're doing that, I'm going to be down here in the front. If you're here physically, come talk to me, and let's, let's today look together at how you can begin that relationship with Jesus. If you're joining us online and uh, you've got that opportunity right now, then now is the time. Just type it into cccrockford.org slash connect. Make a connection with us. You'll hear from us real soon. We want to get together with you, even if we can begin that online today and talk to you about your relationship with the Lord. Let's all stand together. We're going to pray as we enter into a time for making decisions. Father, we do stand before you mindful today of how precious the wondrous gift is to us. And we thank you for this offer of a living water. There's nothing else that we have found in this world, Father, that satisfies us. And each one of us can honestly say that we have pursued things and found them empty. But Father, when we have accepted Christ, how precious that gift becomes. And I pray today that it would seem precious enough in the eyes of someone who hasn't made that decision to follow him. Lord, open up the opportunities now. Uh, take away the things that keep us from you and help us to make choices that will honor you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.